Guys, I don't know if you looked at your bulletin, but I want you to look with me at a couple of three texts this morning as we begin. We're going to start in the book of Matthew, excuse me, the book of Mark. And I'm just going to read three quick verses out of this uh, just to let you know uh, a little bit about what we're up to this morning. Gang, I'm, I'm going to pick a verse right out of the middle of a paragraph, which is not something you're supposed to do. So let me tell you a little bit about the paragraph. This is The first one's in Mark chapter 15. And it's verse 10, but this is when Jesus is on trial before Pilate, you may recall. And and um, Pilate says this about Jesus in verse 10 of Matthew uh, of Mark 15. He says, for he, that is Pilate, perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. Pilate figured out that the reason that the priest had delivered Jesus was because of envy. Now, flip over to John chapter 12. The, the word envy is not found, but the whole idea is. Uh, John chapter 12, verse 19. This, of course, is right after the triumphal entry. Jesus has stormed the city. This crowd is gathered, and, and the Pharisees are watching all this, and they say to each other in verse 19 of chapter 12. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you, that you are gaining nothing. Look! The world has gone after him, which is very disturbing to them because that means they won't be going after them. And then the last one is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. You can find that real quick. This is a, just one verse again, but it's a little bit lengthy. Before I, I've got a little history with this verse, and I'd, I'd like to tell you about it before I read it. That I remember hearing this, this, uh, this verse preached by uh, an Episcopalian. Dr. John Guest, who um, uh, is quite a quite a good, able handler of the scriptures, but his text. Um, let me read it to you. It was verse twelve. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are not wise. And, and when he preached this sermon, he, he kept saying that over and over and over again. Uh, when you compare yourself with yourself, they are not wise. And it was almost became as if he were singing it. He must have said it 35 times in the course of the, of the sermon. They are not wise. Who, who is it wise? Well, those who dare to compare and contrast themselves with one another. They are not wise. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, it endures forever. You know, frequently, um, it, I bet, it, I, I'm not sure of this, but I, I bet it's annually. They, they, they conduct this survey about uh, our favorite fairy tales. What is the all-time favorite fairy tale ever? And every year, the, the results are the same. I mean, uh, I, I bet you would, I bet if we were to poll you, you would come out with the same choice. The, the, the favorite fairy tale of all time is Cinderella. Which is a story about envy. Oh, but maybe coming in number two is Snow White and those seven adorable dwarfs. It, too, 
is a fairy tale about envy. An issue that has so much potential to do harm and it is woven into our fairy tales. Now, am I the only one in this room that finds that a bit odd? Our fairy tales are eat up with the issue of envy. You know, it has even become a compliment. Um, well, I really envy you. I mean, it, it should be a confession of sin, but it's become a compliment. Yeah, well, you're driving. Oh, man, I really envy you. I mean, you went where on your vacation? You went to Europe. I really envy you. What ought to be a confession of our sin has become a compliment. Man, I am. I am him. You know, guys, I, I'm probably not telling you anything that you haven't already heard before. You, uh, you, we all know the drill. But uh, so that we can all start at the same place, l- let me go over a couple of things just by way of definition. Envy is simply this. I want something you have. Or at least a part of something that you have. And because I don't have what it is that you have, there are several options that open up before me. There is anger. There's resentment. I can begrudge you that that you have this and I don't. And of course, that's not to mention arson, which is because you have it, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna burn it down, or or backbiting, because you are this, I need to uh, you know uh, cut you down to size a bit, and, uh, or uh, even murder. I, I told you a couple of stories about how envy has led to murder. Guys, the, the Germans, the German language has an, an interesting word. In fact, it was interesting. There was a, there was a German couple in the first service and they came up afterwards and, um, and they said, indeed, I mean, they pronounced the word for me. Um, I can't pronounce it very well, but in the English language, we don't have one word that communicates this whole thing. The Germans do. They have one word that communicates. It's the word Schattenfuhrde. There's, there's something really guttural about it that I can't quite get. But uh, as she said it just marvelously. But the, it, what it means is to delight in another person's misfortune. I'm ready to celebrate anything that happens to diminish the honor and comfort of somebody else. Augustine said it like this. He said, "We not only not only am I unhappy with your happiness, I'm also happy at your unhappiness. I weep when you rejoice, and I rejoice when you weep." 
Your prosperity is an eyesore to me. Your loss would give me a great sense of pleasure. Ooh. That's just downright ugly, don't you think? You know, the um, the Proverbs address it. In the book of Proverbs, it's chapter 14, verse 30. I won't read it, but it says, Envy rots the bones. <laughs> Pretty well said, I thought. Envy rots the bones. And of all people, David... The psalmist, you know, the the shepherd boy, he writes about his own problem with envy. He does it in Psalm 73, which we're going to look at closer next week. But he says in verse 3, he says, for I was envious of the arrogant. And he goes on to talk about his experience, etc. And then uh, as he tries to work his way through it, he says in verse 22, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. In the midst of my envy, I was like a beast. I was ignorant. I was like a beast. I was acting like a like an animal. That's um that's not very pretty, is it? And yet it's in there. It's in there, isn't it? Okay, why? What is there? What is there that's going on that that makes it operate in there? Well, I, I, a couple of observations, just by way of analysis. I want to suggest to you that the the, the fuel that drives the the engine of envy is really contained in that 2 Corinthian text that I I tried to make something of in um, John Guest. He says, or the text says, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are not wise. What I'm suggesting, ladies and gentlemen, is that the fuel is that drives this engine of envy is our tendency to compare ourselves with others. Envy is the great leveler. Dorothy Sayers, who was a C.S. Lewis sidekick, said, Envy is the great leveler. If it cannot level things up, it will level them down. Years ago, there was a a novel. It was kind of a sci-fi thing. Um... And I think the, the author's name was Hartley, but it was a, it was a fictional piece. Uh, and it was kind of a, um, a plastic surgery novel. And the, the title of the book was Facial Justice. And in the novel, it was decreed by the government that everyone had to undergo plastic surgery so that every face could look alike. might help, don't you think? Because, guys, there's something in us which makes us constantly comparing ourselves with, 
with, with others. It's, it's the only way I have to, to measure myself, to, to evaluate myself. And, and, and I grow very discontent as I compare myself with, with, with some others and, and notice that their prosperity and happiness is greater than mine. Did you hear about the rooster who uh, made, paid a visit over to the, uh, the ostrich pen? And he kind of borrowed one of those giant ostrich eggs and rolled it over to his pen and he put it right in front of the hens. And he says, uh, now ladies, I don't, I don't want you to think I'm complaining. But I, but I thought it might be wise for you to see what the competition is up to. That's what we do, guys. Your eggs are bigger than my eggs. Therefore, I'm going to have to do something about that. Or, or the little boy who longed to have a new train set for Christmas. He, um, he talked to his mom and dad about that's what he wanted for Christmas, a new train set. And so Christmas morning came and sure enough, there was a train set under the tree. And he had a ball playing with his train set all Christmas morning. He was just such a happy little kid and, until Christmas night. And he went over to his cousins, who also got a train set. But his train set was bigger and better. And the little boy came home and spent the rest of the night pouting. You know, guys, if... if um. If Tiger Woods shoots a 62 and I shoot a 102, what does that say about me? You know, there's, there's, there's kind of a way we can live with that a little, a little bit better. But let me put it like this. If Tiger Woods owns a yacht and I don't, Doesn't that somehow make me inferior? You see, guys, envy is not so much due to what I lack. It's more tied to what others have. The real problem is that we love to be on top. We love to be the most. We love to be the best. We love to be first. We want to be alone. We want to be singular in eminence. Envy um, is, is less about what I lack than it is and more about what others have. The, the goal of envy is to strip someone of a particular good and I strip them from that good for the sole reason that I don't have it. You know, we uh, we tend to really dislike people who who make us feel our own sense of inferiority. The envier has has empty hands, and consequently, he wants to empty the hands of the envied. The core of envy is, is the desire to cut someone down to size. My size. To an envier, 
Every good in a rival is somehow a diminishment of myself. And how do I get to that? I compare myself with yourself. And as the text says, you are not wise. I'm suggesting, ladies and gentlemen, that the, that the fuel that drives the engine of envy is our tendency to compare ourselves with, with others. Now, now, one other piece of analysis. The, the, the other thing that feeds this fire is a lie that we believe. It's, it's, it's a lie that suggests that if I were to possess that, that would somehow make me superior to those who don't possess that. I mean, if you've got an iPhone and I'm stuck with this, which, by the way, receives phone calls. But if you've got that one and I've got this one, that means somehow that you are in some ways superior to my gross inferiority because I have this. My well-being is tied, that is, according to this lie that we believe, my well-being is tied to the sum of my, my possessions. And therefore, if I could have that, then somehow I would be happier. We want, we want, we want, and all this wanting opens me up to this generalized, hard-to-define envy. You know, guys, our culture almost forces us to envy the beautiful. It's a, it's a, it's a marketing strategy. I, I, I hope you realize that. What better way to sell you my truck than by telling you how happy your friends are who bought a truck? Advertising is this vast, envy-creating machine. One way to keep up with the Joneses is to outbuy the Joneses. There's this, there's this ad on, on, on television. I, I watched it while I was doing the elliptical thing, which um, I do with some degree of frequency. It's for Sports Authority. It's just a sports store. They sell all this sports equipment. In fact, um, uh, they, um, they sent me a, um, a coupon while we were gone last week. They sent me a coupon for $25. 
If I spend 7000 they'll give me, you know, $25 off. But it's Sports Authority. Maybe you bought something there recently. But in this television ad, it go, this, this, there's, ding, you know, get one of those and get yourself one of these and you, you, anyway, this is, this is the, this is the line. I'm quoting. It says, look good while making someone else look bad. See, it's not enough to look good. And very frankly, I've wasted my money if I only look good and don't make you look bad. Because the goal is not simply to to have something, but it's to reduce you to my size. All born. All generated by a hungry, envious heart that believes the lie that my worth is the sum of my possessions. You know, there is this line that I meant to tell you when I was talking about comparing ourselves with each other. There's a, there's a line in one of the Rocky movies, and I forget which one. I, um, I thought there were four Rocky movies. I was told in between service there were six Rocky movies. Uh, Sylvester Stallone, you know, and you know, it, it, once you saw one, you saw them all. But the, the first one was pretty good. And... Um, but there's this line, his, his buddy's named Paulie. You remember Paulie? Paulie was um, Adrian's, Adrian. It was Adrian's brother, um, Paulie. And um, they're in this meat locker. You know, they're, they're, they're frozen sides of beef, and Rocky's punching at the, you know, the sides of beef. And, and just, you know, and, and, and Paulie's trying to talk him out of uh, going into the ring with this guy. You know, you're going to get massacred if you go into the ring with this guy. Don't fight this guy. Don't do it. Don't do it. Ah. <clears throat> and I forget exactly the dialogue. I do remember the line, but uh, it, don't do it. I got to. I got to, Paulie. I got to go fight. What, you know, why do you got to go fight him? And Rocky says, because then I'll know I'm not a bum. Because the only way that I can figure out whether I'm not a bum or not is to compare myself with you. I get my whole sense of definition by comparing myself with you. And then add to that this lie that we believe that our whole sense of worth is the sum of our possessions and voila! The engine runs full speed. Now guys, for today at least, let me, let me tell you... A, couple reasons why we need to hate envy, and then I'll be done for the day. Um, Just two reasons why we should hate envy in us and in everybody else. Number one, it's a joy killer. You never can quite get over that somebody somewhere has a better life than you do. Consequently, you can almost hear this giant sucking sound, and it's not jobs going to Mexico. It's a giant sucking noise as joy gets sucked right out of your soul. And and, and think about it, ladies and gentlemen. Envy is the only sin that is pure bad. 
It's all bad through and through. The other sins, if you're a glutton, you know, at least you can enjoy the taste of the food. Or if you're a thief, you can, you can enjoy the items that you stole. <coughs> if you, if you're an adulterer, I mean, you can, you can have 30 minutes that you are a pleasure. The rest of your life is ruined. But, but you got 30 minutes there that you can, you know, have a good time. But in envy, it's all bad. The whole thing is bad. It is the most foolish kind of self-destruction, of self-injury. It poisons the one life that you do have. Because this one can never quite be good enough. And so you suffer, you suffer emotionally. You suffer spiritually. You suffer socially. I was thinking about this last night. Susan and I had been gone for a week, and while we were flying back last night, and I was on the plane working on this, and I, and I, and I, this thought came to mind about suffering socially. Tell me this, my friend. Tell me. How many friends do you really have? Non-family. How many friends do you have? Do you think that maybe, just maybe, that one of the reasons is because of this? Ladies and gentlemen, that's a, that's a reason to hate envy. Because it ruins the one life that you do have by sucking all the joy that's in there out of there. Here's the second reason that we ought to hate envy. Because envy makes it impossible to keep the great commandment. You remember what the great commandment is, don't you? The scribe comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, what is the foremost commandment of all? And Jesus says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. I'm suggesting, ladies and gentlemen, that envy prevents you from ever obeying the great commandment. For instance, it destroys, that is, envy destroys worship because it calls into question all of God's wisdom, all of his goodness, all of his sovereignty, all of his kindness, Somehow, God has failed you. You question his promises. And you keep running for the office of God. And you, you, you are frequently asking yourself, why me? Or, uh, why not me? Hey, God, didn't you send that whatever it was to the wrong address? Are you some kind of idiot? You're not going to be loving the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind in the midst of envy. The other part of that great commandment is that you love your neighbor as yourself. How can I love my neighbor when he's my rival? He's the competition, or worse, he's the thief. He, he, he possesses things that rightfully belong to me. I, I, I don't wish him good. I wish him harm. 
guys, they're either our rivals or, or I guess a little bit better, they're impediments to my own happiness. <clears throat> guys, envy is a moral cancer. And it eats away at the vitals of your soul. It's, it's, it's pure evil through and through. It, it poisons the envier and it introduces this kind of gangrene to the soul. Let me summarize real quick. Envy is acquisitive, resentful, and selfish, and it's always bad. We ought to hate something like that. It, it, it wants what others have simply because they had it. And it bears grudges against those who have what it doesn't have and then accuses God of being unfair in it all. <laughs> Aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> Guys, what, what are we going to do? How are we going to start digging ourselves out of this hole, this ugly hole that we're all in? Well, well, think about this, guys. First of all, let's start. Let's start with calling it what it is. Let's start with repentance. What do you say? Gang, don't you understand that the Christian is the only person that can be honest with themselves? Non-Christians can't be honest with themselves. They've, they've got to continue to think that they're good people and that it all is well. Ladies and gentlemen, we Christians can be honest. It's in there, isn't it? Only Christians can be honest with themselves. You know, I say this a lot around here. I didn't, I didn't make this up. It's too good for me to have made it up. It's way too smart for me to... I mean, everything I know is either in a book or on a tape. And if it's not in a book or on a tape, I don't know it. But I think the first person that said this was Augustine. He said this. Here's the gospel. The gospel is we're far more wicked than we ever dreamed. Can you believe that you could actually desire someone's heart? That you would be happy at their unhappiness and unhappy at their happiness? We are far more wicked than we ever dreamed. And the only ones who can admit that are Christians. We're far more wicked than we ever dreamed, comma. And we are far more loved than we ever dared hope. Because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished in our place, ladies and gentlemen, we are loved in the face, in the teeth of all that ugliness that we know is in there. The, the Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Ladies and gentlemen, this is you. That's you. And it's me. Because we are far more wicked than we ever dared think. But the Christian can admit that. And 
we can admit it because we are far more loved than we ever dared dream. What Jesus Christ has accomplished for people like us is forgiveness from something as ugly as what you just heard. Don't leave here today without a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, um, it is true. It's, it's true of us. We've been guilty and we continue. And just because we're a redeemed bunch, it doesn't mean that we're not guilty of this. So help us as we work our way through in the next couple of weeks work our way through to some more solution, digging our way out of this morass into something that's more beautiful and more righteous and more comely. But first, Father, we begin by saying, guilty is charged. We come again to the precious bleeding side of the only one where we find any hope. Jesus Christ, the one who in our eyes is altogether lovely and an eye or a set of eyes that have been opened by the gospel is a set of eyes that also sees not just its sin, it sees the great redeemer of sin. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And we pray, of course, in his name.